pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you now as we open up your word that you have revealed yourself to us as a gracious and mighty and powerful and loving God who has given to us a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty of our sins that we might go free by believing in him, trusting in him, receiving him as Lord of our lives. And I pray, Father, this morning that your word will penetrate our hearts powerfully because it is powerful. And I pray that our lives will be shaped by the truths of your word to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Experiencing life is the title of our series. Everybody wants to experience life, want to experience the good life. In fact, advertisers spend, well, those who advertise spend gazillions of dollars trying to convince us that their products will bring us good life, will bring us a better life. And um, when we open up the scriptures, when we open up a gospel like the gospel of John, we find out that in reality, and when we look around ourselves, we find out that in reality, only a relative few people in this world will really experience life. Oh, they live. They exist. But we're talking about experiencing life. Our series this winter and spring and into the summer is going to be in the Gospel of John, as you already most, most of you already know. John tells us in his Gospel that to those blinded, existing in hostile darkness, Jesus is the only hope for experiencing life. In fact, there's no book in all of the universe that brings that truth to life with more clarity than the Gospel of John. I think last week, Pastor Kelvin mentioned that Romans was the pearl of the epistles, and I would highly agree with that. If Romans is the pearl of the epistles, the Gospel of John is the diamond of all books written in all the universe. I think if I had only, could only have one book, it would be the Gospel of John. John is an amazing book. John's Gospel is really a looking glass into the mind of God for the eyes of our soul. I'm not sure how much background you, you know about um, John, the disciple John. He appears to have been the youngest of all the disciples and lived the longest of all the disciples. And John, the Gospel of John is a compilation, very structured, very specific, very directed by the Holy Spirit, of about 60 years of reflection on John's experience walking with Christ. For 60 years, in parts of those years, John was exiled and had all kinds of time on his hands to just be with the Holy Spirit who was bringing to his recollection all of the amazing things that Jesus had done. 
John, of course, writes at the end, if everything was recorded that Jesus had done, not, not, there wouldn't be enough books in all the universe to, to contain it. So John is not a chronology of Jesus' life. John is a very specific subject of, or subject, uh, structured on subjects of Jesus' life. Talks about the signs of Jesus. Talks about, explains to us what the, the festivals were and how Jesus um, fulfilled the great feasts of the Jewish religion. But by the time John wrote this, which was somewhere in the 90s AD, some say even 100 AD possibly, by the time John wrote this, there was a cultural shift in Christianity. Christianity broke into the scene as a Jewish religion. There was Jesus the Jew and Jewish disciples. Jesus went to the synagogues and taught. Christianity caught on in the Jewish world in some parts, of course. But by the time John wrote, Christianity was now uh, Gentile-bound. And so um, John uh, begins his gospel differently than the other writers, with the exception of Mark, but not with Jewish genealogies and a very Jewish setting, but rather talks about the Word. The Word, of course, was always a very important concept to both the Hebraic mind and the, the uh, Greek mind. For the, the Hebrews, Hebrews, Word was about wisdom, the wisdom of God. To the Greek mind, it was about reason and rationality. So John bursts onto the scene by talking about the Word of God which is his introduction, word being a big deal. By the word of God, i.e. the wisdom and reason of God, everything that exists came into being. The starting point for us, of course, in the cultural shift that we live in, because in the, in the, at the time John wrote, the, the, the Jews were worshipers of Yahweh, worshipers of God. The Greeks were, had, were worshippers of gods, but also believed that, that uh, the universe was created by divine supernatural, uh, uh, supernatural means. But today, in our own personal time, our own contemporary time, God, of course, has been replaced. We live in a godless cosmology. When John wrote this, it was a given. He wasn't, there was no one shocked when they opened up the letter of John, or the gospel of John and started to read about God. That didn't shock the culture either in the Jewish culture or in the Greek culture. But the starting point today as people open up, they talk about God. God has been supplanted in our, in our, um, in our cosmology, which is now mindless, irrational, chance-based, accidental. Science has replaced God on the outside, the physical outside, and psychology has replaced God in our inner lives. Both of them are systematically jettisoning God. But John opens up for us and unveils for us the curtain 
that covers much of the reality of the universe. Jesus and the miraculous. What Jesus does. He shows us the behind the scenes. We're trapped in the veil of natural, physical things. We live in the shadow lands of, uh, uh, you know, where we look through the world with uh, like a dim glass. But John shows us the world behind our physical world, the universe of what's happening, what God is doing, what God is at work. God is always at work. God is at work today. Jesus is God at work and is demonstrated by the Gospel of John. And he makes this great and fabulous statement that is really the theme of our time together this morning. In him was life. And it's now for us to determine who was he talking about? Who is the in him that John is referring to in verse 4 of John chapter 1? In him was life. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, and I trust you do, let's open them up to John chapter 1 and let's find out. We're going to read the first 14 verses. So let's do that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, or in the Greek structure, God was the Word. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it, which could be translated has not overcome it. Equally possible. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. Now this is not talking about John the disciple is talking about John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Who is John talking about? In him was life. He's talking about the word of God. You say, well, that maybe doesn't help me all that much. What, who is the word of God? Well, we just finished a season of celebrating exactly who John is talking about. And John makes it really clear by verse 14, if not before. It, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Who is the in him was life that John is talking about? Of course, it's Jesus Christ. He is the one who came and dwelt among us. The incarnate or God taking on flesh and living among us. 
So I want to share with you this morning two declarations, a two-point sermon. You're excited about that. It's got to be short. There are two very long points. <laughs> but two declarations this morning, and the first one is this. Jesus is the Word of God, very God Himself, at work among us, who alone is eternal and the only source of life in the cosmos. And I'll unpack that for you this morning. And I, I build it and I base it on what we've just read in uh, chapter 1, verse 14, verse 1 and verse 2. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God was the Word, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. The connection from the get-go here in John's Gospel to Genesis 1 is really hard to miss. In the beginning. For any of us who know our Bibles at all, we know that that's the way the Bible begins, in the beginning, talking about the time of creation. This, though, John is talking before even creation. He's talking about eternity past. There is no beginning to eternity past, but how do you describe that? And so he describes it as, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was God. God existed before all things that were created. But he is intentionally drawing our attention to the, the, the parallel with Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, we're introduced to the Trinity. We're introduced to the three persons of the Godhead. God created the heavens and the earth. And then we're told that the Spirit of God hovered over the deep. And then it says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. So we have the three persons of the Trinity, of the Godhead, explained to us in Genesis chapter 1 at the very beginning. God the Father, who is the, uh, the, uh, the author of creation. The Spirit of God hovering over the deep. The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God. And then the Word of God. The action of God the very Son of God, the second person of the Godhead, all demonstrated for us right at the very beginning. Now, John, John isn't changing anything. He's describing the same thing. He's telling us that the Word of God is God, is very God. So to supplant Jesus Christ as our culture is in is want to do or is insisting on doing is to remove the only legitimate cause of life. It is to choose to live in a state of unreality and foolishness because we are taught here that through him, verse 3, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. To remove Jesus Christ from the from our the existence from our world and the description of our universe, the description of our cosmology, is to be completely irrational and to be completely unrealistic and totally foolish. That's why the Bible says. Only the, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. 
But that's the world that we presently live in. Who is Jesus then? He is the word of God. He is very God. He is the action of God who alone is eternal. He exists before all things, before the universe is created. In him all things were made. I don't know how many more ways John could say it. He says it in several different ways. In other words, matter did not come into existence until the word of God, the son of God, called it into existence. So therefore matter, you need to tell your science professor, is not eternal, but God is. So by the word, the wisdom and reason of God, everything that is came into existence. Everything that exists came into existence. Absent divine intervention, the existence of anything is impossible according to the scriptures. So what that means is the Christian worldview is this, that creation is out of nothing. The word of God called creation to exist, and it does. The word of God calls into action what will take place. That's why the word of God is so, so very important in our lives. You're going to experience life. You experience life through the word of God. Because in him was life. Everything that has life is caused by and because of the presence of the word of God. God, the word, is the only source of life in the universe. That's why John says, without him, nothing was made that has been made. Not only is he the cause of everything that exists, but everything exists because of his presence. He is the ongoing keeper of life. That's why Paul writes in Colossians, in him all things hold together. Jesus is the cause of creation, but is also the explanation for the state of creation. In, um, as John is writing this, of course, he is also writing an, uh, a polemic or an apologetic to an existing idea called Gnosticism which you've heard of, I'm sure. But the Gnostic belief that was circulating at the time of John proposed that matter was eternal and was evil and that matter produced all that there is. So Gnosticism was actually the primitive form of evolution. And therefore, there was this disconnect between the supernatural world of the gods, or God, and the physical world. And in all the things of the physical world are evil, and God is constantly having to deal with an evil creation. 
Now we learn from the front of the book that that's not so. We learn from here that that's not so. We learn from here that the Word of God, the Son of God, called matter into existence. And from Genesis, we learn that it was good. Sin caused the physical world to become wicked. And God created all things. Not evil didn't create, God created. So we have the Word of God now entering into the world in flesh for the purpose of shining in the darkness of this world that doesn't understand God and furthermore seeks to overcome the truth, seeks to overcome Him. The most obvious example of that is the cross of Calvary where Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the glorious Son of God, the sinless Son of God, was nailed to a cross because the darkness of this world sought to attempt to overcome the light. And John is here to gloriously tell us that, but the darkness has not understood it, nor can it overcome it. The light continues to shine. John makes it crystal clear who Jesus was to the Hebrews or the Greeks or the Gentiles. From the writer of the Holy Scripture perspective, he is the wisdom and reason and active agency of the one God on earth for a while. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is the agent of God the Father used to create. One commentator says this, Jesus is the mind of God come to earth in person. And it has been Satan's intentional opposition over the ages to twist these truths and attempt to create a cosmology that can be explained, cosmology meaning the universe itself, that can be explained without God, to seek to supplant him in creation by continuing the Gnostic idea of evolution, to supplant him now even in the mind, in, in the area and arena of, of rational thinking, by tampering with mathematical principles and reason in the new discipline of critical or chaotic theory. And every single one of these things is an attempt to jettison any notion of godness from the cosmology of the world we live in. John, and we, if we are to actually be Christians, stand in total opposition to that thinking. We have a God-centered, Christ-centered cosmology. That's who we are. So that's the first declaration. The second one is found in verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood or overcome it. In other words, there is no life in this universe unless Jesus Christ, Son of God, provides it. In verse 10 it says, Though the world was made through him, it did not recognize him which is irrational. So what's the declaration then from this, these two verses? It is this, it's long again, and I'm gonna unpack it for you. The word of God in flesh coming into this world 
is life light shining on the hostile darkness of dead existence to bring the life that God lives to those who believe. I tried to package all that I'm about to tell you in that one long sentence. So let me break it down for you. The center of all life is Jesus Christ. Everything that has physical life, the animating is, is from, based on the animating light effect that is life that comes from him. And I actually believe that John is sort of giving us a hinge or a swing here. Explaining that Jesus, because he, he moves from verse 3, which is to explain the physical creation. And I believe that he is saying that the physical creation is also a, a, dem- is a demonstration of the light, how God shines light into the darkness. The light of the animating force of life comes into the darkness. And life is granted. Physical life is granted. Humans, animals, uh, vegetation, things that live, are because of the light of God, the life light of God. Okay? And that hostile darkness that we're taught shines in the darkness that he now says he now advances to darkness that does not understand God or seeks to overcome him or not believe in him is now this movement to a spiritual light how Jesus has caused spiritual life to come to human beings this is the contrast the darkness are those who live in darkness spiritually and do not understand God versus those who have received the light of Christ, the word of God, and now understand him. This is the contrast that we see in our lives. And those who now understand him become partakers of the life that God himself lives. And we'll look at that in a few moments. Just as Paul wrote, or as Peter wrote, We have become partakers of the divine nature because the Holy Spirit of God moves into our lives and brings us to spiritual life. And we enjoy the nature of God and and, and now get to live the life that God himself lives. Not in spiritual darkness, but in spiritual fullness and awareness. That's what this is all about. The same God who said, let there be light and there was light, says that into our hearts. Now listen to this. In the same way that physical life happens because God calls it to happen, God calls spiritual light to turn on within those living in spiritual darkness. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, listen. For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. What a glorious verse that is. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 should be underlined, highlighted in your Bibles. It's such a wonder. It's an explanation of how this happens. This is why to jettison the idea of creation from the front of the Bible is ruinous to the idea of salvation. Because the same mechanism with which God spoke and calls the universe into existence is the same power he has to call your heart to become alive to Christ. 
Let light shine in the darkness of your soul that you might come to life and experience life in Christ. In him was life. Light, life for creation and life for new creation. It's the same mechanism. This light life, that life which he's referring to in verse 4, um, it says, in him was life and that life, that's what we're referring to right now, that life, the light life, the duration and quality is the duration and quality of the life God lives. And it can only be found in Christ over against the dark life of dead existence. Because you say, hey, you know, you're talking about life and death and darkness and all that. I, I look at people who don't know Jesus and they appear alive to me. They're alive, yes. Dead life existence. They exist. They are not experiencing life. They exist. There's an immense difference. And this eternal life that is granted us, because this is what, what it's talking about, the life God lives, what is the life God lives? He's eternal. If we acquire the life that God lives, because the word of God calls it into existence in our life, then we get to live eternally, everlasting life. But it's more than that, and it's a certain kind, it's more specific than that. Because we know that all people are going to exist eternally. Some in the eternal presence of God and some in eternal darkness. What's the difference? The difference is the quality of this life. Not only do we receive eternal life, because eternal existence in darkness is a horrible thought. So it's not that living eternally is so wonderful. It's that living, it's, it's in living eternally the life that God lives. That's what we're talking about here. This certain kind of life, the quality. Why later on in John, I give you life and I give it to you abundantly. Not just existence, but living the life that God lives. Entirely different. Because of sins, those who only possess physical life are existing only. Stumbling around in spiritual darkness. Not neutral and not open-minded, but rather hostile to the things of God. That's what we see around us. And this hostility comes through in the attempts to, to remove the godness of everything from our culture. Actively opposing, rejecting, not understanding the things of God, and not wanting to understand the things of God. Any of you who've ever shared your faith with anybody knows that this is the way it is. And if anybody has an open mind at all to the things of God... It's because God is opening up their mind to respond to the things of God. And unless that happens, nothing, no light will shine in a person's heart. In the same way that it required the initiative of God to create the universe, it requires 
my friends, the initiative of God to bring light to a cold heart. I can persuade till I'm blue in the face up here. I can, I can lay out what all of you would say that is so rational, that is so logical, that is so understandable. For hours on end, I can present. And unless the one in whom there is life chooses to breathe life into the darkness, it will not happen. And so the result of Christ's arrival is a severe struggle, a severe hostile struggle. The rest of John is a discussion of the myriad of examples of people wanting to crush the life of Christ. Absurdly, this one who came and healed and helped and cared and loved and raised the dead... And all they wanted to do. And, and these were his own. These are Yahweh worshipers. Okay? It says he came to his own religious believers of Yahweh God. Sought to destroy him. Because just because you believe in Yahweh God or whatever God, Allah God or whatever God you think about does not mean you have come out of the darkness because there is only one way out of the darkness in Him Jesus Christ was life So, um, here's the question of application, and we'll wind it up from this point. Based on all of this theology and what you've heard, are you in the light or in the darkness? Some of you say, I know exactly, I know I'm in the light. Some of you say, I'm not sure. I don't know. How can I know? What, what should I be looking for? Well, here, let me talk about a contrast of light and dark. Those who are in the light receive Christ. Welcome him. Welcome what he has to say. Are living in real life. Those who are in the darkness fail to recognize the truth of Jesus Christ. Refuse to welcome the truth of Jesus Christ. Do not understand it and seek to overcome and oppose it because there are different shades of darkness. So what does light, light do? We all know what light does. Light, you shine a light on and it chases away the darkness. There's a good reason why God would use this illustration and representation to help us to understand 
what salvation really is in Jesus Christ. And the reason I, I say that this light that we're talking about is salvation comes from um, the Old Testament, Isaiah uh, 49, verse 6, where it says at the end of that verse, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. And this was God's call on his Old Testament people. I will make you a light for the Gentiles. Are you, I'm a Gentile. And most of us are Gentiles. Are you glad that God decided to bring his light to us? By sheer grace, not because of anything good in us. God says this, and God's word happens. This is, this is so important for us. The word of God is the action of God. What God says will happen. You can bank on it. When God gives you his word in the Bible, it will happen. So, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So this light that we're talking about is salvation in Jesus Christ. And so what does this light do? It puts darkness and disordered desires and passions and fears to flight. The glory of the light of Christ pushes all of this away. That's why the disciples were able to say when Christ is, is asking them if they're going to leave him too when others are leaving him, where would we go, they said. You, you have the words of eternal life. Where would you go? You have the light. You have the salvation. You have life. Where else would we go? That's how light responds to the truth of Christ as opposed to the darkness which produces more darkness and exists in the darkness. Judas lived with Christ for three years. And we hear this haunting description in, later on in John's gospel. He opted to walk out into the night. Now that's just a picture of the scene, but it's, it, it, it's oozing with spiritual metaphor. Judas was close, proximate to the light of Christ, and he chose rather to walk out into the night of darkness and have his life destroyed, unravel, and perish. That's what some people do in churches. They just walk out into the night. Light exposes reality and welcomes transparency, embraces what is real. The centurion at the base of the cross looks at Jesus and says, truly, this man is the son of God. That's when the light comes and shines and he recognized who this was. Judas, again, represents the darkness to resist what is real or expose... Uh, or, or resist exposing what is real and hide evil deeds and reject the light that God brings. Judas, in his commentary on Mary's wonderful gift of perfume on Jesus, says this, this perfume could have been sold and, and the proceeds could have been given to the poor. And it says in the text, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was the treasurer and his hand was in the treasury. Judas was the first virtue signaler acting like he cares to hide his evil. That's, that's what virtue signaling is. It's rampant around us. 
All of this nonsense like people care and they're so virtuous and all of this. It's just a mask for their darkness. So you won't dig too deeply. You won't turn over any rocks. And finally, light we use to light our pathway, to show us the way to go, to walk in the way of truth, to welcome truth. That's what light does. Am I in the light? Am I welcoming God's word? Am I following God's word? Am I trusting God's word? It's it's a light unto my path, a lamp for my feet. Or am I rejecting the, the way of truth and hostile to Christ's light? The Samaritan woman demonstrated the light of Christ shining in her life when she raced to her village and all of her friends and said to them, come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. Could this be Messiah? Could this be him, the one, the anointed one, Christ? That's what she's saying. Is this Christ? Because I'm seeing it. The light is shining. Over against Pilate, who washed his hands in the presence of Jesus, the light of the world, and says, what is truth? When truth was staring him straight in the face, and he was in darkness and couldn't see it. Truth is staring, brother and sisters, truth is staring you in the face this morning. You online, it's staring you right in the face. Can you see it? So what should you do? How can I go from just existing to experiencing life? In verse 13, or 12, it says, Yet to all who received him, the word of God, the living word of God, Jesus Christ, to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become the children of God. Welcoming Jesus, our only hope, by believing his word. If you do what God's word says, you will get what God's word promises. And John says this at the end of his gospel, these things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you might have life in his name. By believing, it's been written. And by believing in the word of God, the living word of God, Jesus Christ, you will have life in his name. So I'll close with this. There's three aspects to this that are crucial. For you, what you must do, you must believe. Seventy times this word is used in John's gospel. It's a pretty important thing. Believe. It's critical to believe. In John 3.36 it says, He who believes on the Son shall have everlasting life. That's the word of God. That's a promise of God. He or she who believes in the Son of God will have everlasting life. So you have to believe that Jesus really is the Son of God, totally settle on who Jesus is, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that he is the only way, that he is the only truth, and he is the only way, or the only life. I, I've, I've heard many people say this, and I've heard people even in this church say it, and I shudder, it, it, it 
bothers me. I challenge it, of course, but people will say, well, I believe in God. There is a God. But I'm unsettled about Jesus. My friend, if that's true, you are still in darkness. Because Satan believes in God. The demons believe in God. All kinds of people in this country believe in God. Believe there's a God. Jesus Christ is very God. And you must believe in Him. You must be settled on who Jesus is. And what does this belief look like? It's not just a mental assent. Believing on Jesus, secondly, is really trusting in His words that they are true. To really believe what we just said, to really believe what Jesus says, to really believe that if I believe in the Son of God, I'll have everlasting life. To really believe that is to really trust in Him. It's to believe that He died for our sins and that He alone can save us and that He alone is the one who can give us life. It requires really believing that. Again, I hear people say, well, I, I believe some things, but the jury is out for me on a lot of Scripture. And that's code for saying whatever I don't find comfortable, I don't believe in. Well, and they may refine it and say, well, I, I can believe what Jesus says, but I, I don't believe a lot of the other things in the Bible. I, I don't believe that. Listen, listen to me. Listen carefully. Jesus is the Word of God. Very God Himself. And we learn in the Scriptures that all Scripture is God-breathed. Which means, since Jesus is God, all of Scripture is Jesus-breathed. All of it. This is a take-it-all thing, if you're really in the light. And then finally, it's to base all of your life choices on the foundation of Jesus' teaching. Here's Jesus said in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. If anyone loves me, he or she will keep my word. Who is a disciple? Well, the Great Commission says, go make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to observe and obey whatsoever things I've commanded you. A disciple is one who obeys the commands of Christ. So, how about you? Are you in light, or are you in darkness? I urge you today to answer that question before you leave this place, before you leave the broadcast if you're watching us online. In Christ was life, and that life is the salvation of mankind through believing in Christ as the Savior of man. 
Our pastoral team will be here. Some pastors will be in a connections room. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day of salvation. I urge you to settle that, to settle the offer of salvation which is open to you today before you go home. Our Father, thank you so much for your truth, for what you teach us. We love you. We thank you for Jesus Christ who paid our penalty. God incarnate made himself a sin offering for us that by believing and trusting in him we might have eternal life. Not just life forever, but the life that God lives himself. Oh, Father, thank you for this promise. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that is hearing this message for the first time or is hearing it with new ears for the first time and is open to your offer of light in the darkness of their heart. I pray, oh God, for your salvation to come to this place today. For Jesus' sake, amen. You were not born into the light. In fact, you were born into darkness. Is all we like sheep have gone astray. So you're not automatically in the light because you're human or because you have some sort of superficial belief in a God. Unless something changes, we remain in darkness. Unless you come to Christ, you cannot come to the life that he offers. You may continue to exist as a sheep exists but not have the light of God in your life. In him, Jesus Christ, Savior, was life, is life. Without him, there is no life. I implore you, in this series, Experiencing Life, receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Our Father, I pray today, for salvation. I thank you for your word that clarifies the truth of who Christ is and what he brings. And I pray, O oh Lord, that all the people who feed in this pasture, whether online or here in person, would experience the life of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.